Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. History of Persia is a Hopful Media podcast production. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp Therapy Online. Life doesn't come with a user manual, so when life stops working for you, it's pretty normal to feel stuck. Imagine somebody who spent, oh, say, 25 years being really distracted, overwhelmed by clutter, and fluctuating between being really into obscure ancient history and not being able to find the motivation to do the dishes. That person is me, And apparently, if there were a user manual to life, it might have told me that I have ADHD and should talk to my doctor about that. Therapists are about as close to a manual as we can get. Folks who are trained to help you figure out challenging emotions and learn coping skills. 
BetterHelp has connected millions of people with licensed, registered therapists for convenient and secure online therapy. It's convenient and 100% accessible online. No waiting rooms, no traffic, and not even endless googling of therapist near me. You just fill out a questionnaire and get matched with an appropriate therapist. And if it doesn't click, BetterHelp makes it easy to switch providers. Everyone deserves to feel their best, so get unstuck with BetterHelp. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com persia. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash persia. Welcome, everyone, to the History of Persia, Episode 4, Cyrus II, King of Anshan. So here we are. His name's in the title of the episode, and last time left us on the precipice of Persian conquest. The Medes and Babylonians overthrew and conquered Assyria, and each of the new powers built grand and expansive empires in their own way. Babylon was subjugating new vassals and undergoing the tumult of four kings coming to power in just six years following the death of Nebuchadnezzar. Meanwhile, the story of the Medes was recorded by outside sources as they expanded their empire both east and west, and fought a war with the Anatolian kingdom of Lydia. Now, where were we? Oh right, both Media and Babylon have new kings. Nabonidus, the son of a Babylonian notable and a priestess of the moon god Shin, just came to the throne of Babylon by assassinating his predecessor, and Astyages, the son of the former king Cyaxares and son-in-law to the Lydian king, is on the throne of the Median Empire. Except, that's actually just a little bit anachronistic. Astyages came to power in 585 BCE, while Nebuchadnezzar, Astyages' brother-in-law via his sister Amidus, was still ruling Babylon. However, we know almost nothing about Astyages or the internal events of the Median Empire during his reign. One of the only stories that describes anything during the reign of Astyages comes from Herodotus's history, and is certainly fictional. Herodotus tells us that Astyages had his daughter, Mandane, married to a prince of an old Elamite city, called Anshan. The prince's name was Cambyses, and after being warned in a dream that Mandane's son would destroy his empire, Astyages decided to marry her off to the least threatening of all of his vassals. However, when the Median king had another dream of his daughter's offspring bringing ruin to his empire, he sent one of his generals, a man named Harpagus, to kill his newborn grandson. However, when Harpagus arrived and presumably abducted the child, he could not bring himself to kill a prince of royal lineage. Instead, he took the boy to a peasant farmer named Mitridates, whose wife had recently delivered a stillbirth. Ten years later, Astyages discovered his grandson was still alive when a peasant boy was brought before him on charges of having whipped a noble boy in a game where the peasant child was playing the role of king. Of course, that peasant child was the boy who Astyages had ordered to be killed years earlier, and he was exhibiting his noble traits even though he thought he was just a peasant. So Astyages decided to spare his grandson and returned him to his true parents, Cambyses and Mandane. 
Harpagus, though, was punished for his insubordination, and Herodotus tells us that the general's son was killed and served to him as dinner by Astyages. Repeating that motif of a cruel king serving a cannibal dinner as punishment, used by the historian in his equally fictitious account of the Scythians and Lydia that I discussed last time. When that boy came of age and succeeded Cambyses, Harpagus went to him and advised him to revolt against his grandfather, which he did, and so the doom of Astyages' great empire came through events of his own making. The boy in this story is, of course, the future king Cyrus the Great, but like I said, the story itself is fiction. Firstly, because many modern historians are skeptical of the idea that Cyrus was the grandson of Astyages at all, and in fact believe that Cyrus was born while Cyaxares was still the Median king, it's not implausible that Mandane, Cyrus's mother according to Herodotus, was a daughter of Cyaxares or even Astyages if she did exist, but I haven't seen anything that delves further into that line of thinking. So we can probably just leave Cyrus's matrilineal heritage as speculative for now. The story about Cyrus's near assassination in infancy and subsequent fostering with peasants is almost certainly fictional. The great hero raised by simple people only to be discovered in adolescence is a common trope, which we see everywhere from Greek mythology to Superman comics. Herodotus also uses the anecdote to introduce us to the figure of Harpagus and give him a reason to turn on Astyages, an actual historical event which will come into play later in this episode. Fortunately, we do have Persian and Babylonian sources that help confirm that Herodotus did not make all of it up. Cyrus's father really was called Cambyses, or at least the Persian way of saying it, Cambogia. He also really did rule in the former Elamite stronghold of Anshan, though the rulers of Anshan styled themselves as kings rather than princes, and it is there, with King Cambyses I of Anshan, that we should begin the story of the historical Cyrus. We know very little about Cambyses I, Anshan, the Persians, or even Cyrus himself, before he started making big enough waves for the Babylonians to take notice and start recording Cyrus's action in their royal chronicle. There are also very few firmly identified pieces of writing from Anshan during this period. What we do have are the Persian king's lists and inscriptions from the later imperial period that can shed some light on how the Persians remembered Cyrus before he established his empire, confirmed by the scant evidence that we actually do have from the early Persian kings of Anshan. The earliest recorded ancestor of Cyrus the Great is Achaemenes, but this is problematic. His name became the standard way to refer to the first Persian empire, which you have heard me call, and will continue to hear me call, the Achaemenid Empire, after Achaemenes. However, Achaemenes is first recorded as an ancestor of Cyrus over a decade after the great king's death. The eponymous founder of the dynasty is first named in the Behistun inscription by King Darius I, who came to rule Persia through a coup, which I will get into much, much more detail later on. But it seems probable that Darius grafted his own family tree into Cyrus's as a way to legitimize his own power. Darius names the first really confirmable ancestor of Cyrus the Great as Achaemenes' son. That son, or possibly completely unrelated Persian king, was Taspes. Cyrus actually described himself as a descendant of Taspes, 
providing much more legitimacy to his placement on the family tree than the supposed Achaemenes. Taspes is also recorded as the Persian king who conquered Anshan from the Elamites in a royal seal written by his son Cyrus I. Taspes' son, the first king of Anshan named Cyrus, was the more famous Cyrus's grandfather and contemporary to Ashurbanipal of Assyria, who records that Kuras, the king of Anshan, was among the Elamite allies when he was invading and destroying Elam. After being vassalized by the Assyrians, history loses track of Cyrus I, and only knows that his son Cambyses became king after him. Like I've already said, very little is known about Cambyses beyond that first account given by Herodotus and basic genealogies, which really only tells us that he was Cyrus's father and king of Anshan. We can choose to believe Herodotus's claim that he was married to the Median princess, it is entirely plausible that Syaxeres or Astyages would have married a daughter or granddaughter to him as a way of strengthening the relationship between the Persian vassals in Anshan and the Median kings in Ecbatana, but the supposed lineage given for Mandane is just a little too perfect in the way that it eventually makes Cyrus a legitimate heir for most of his future conquests. Nicholas of Damascus, a historian writing in the 1st century BCE, over 400 years later, and relying on Theseus, a Greek historian living in Persia during the later imperial period, records that Cambyses fought a border dispute with the Medes, and that the future Cyrus the Great had his first command in that battle, but lacking any confirmable sources, there's no way to determine if that story is true. The next pieces of information that we have about Cambyses I and Cyrus II are when Cyrus came to the throne and when Cambyses died, as relayed by Herodotus. Apparently, Cyrus became king in 559 BC, either as co-ruler or following his father's abdication. Cambyses did not die until 551, possibly living long enough to witness his son's first great war. That war came in either 553 or 550, and lasted for either three years or one, according to Babylonian records. Different inscriptions place the war in both of those years, meaning that Cyrus and Astyages battled for a protracted period, or one of them simply got the date wrong. I've chosen not to add new maps for this episode because all of the locations that I'll talk about are covered on the map from last time, so you can check that out if you want to get a lay of the land as we go through the Persian conquest of Media. The exact circumstances that provoked the hostilities are unknown to us, but it would seem that Cyrus made the first move, declaring rebellion outright instead of being provoked by some specific decision made by Astyages. A Babylonian temple inscription described Cyrus as called by the god Marduk, the patron deity of Babylon, to rise in rebellion against the Medes. And Herodotus gives us a characteristically detailed, shall we say, account of the story. The Greek historian described Cyrus II gathering all of the Persians, describing them as divided into a group of allied tribes, and each tribal leader was given the choice to support Cyrus or not. Herodotus, of course, says they supported him unanimously. Whether or not that description is an accurate portrayal of how the Persians were organized is pretty unclear. Everything we know about the early Medes and Persians, which isn't much, indicates that they were still organized into tribal groups in some capacity, such as the Medes, the Persians, the Parthians. However, whether or not the tribes listed by Herodotus were tribes in that sense, 
and vassals to Cyrus, or sub-tribes within the Persians, is difficult for us to tease out. They seem to have been a step up from clans based around shared lineages, but the precise answer remains just a bit out of reach. What drove Cyrus and his subjects and allies to war with Media is not certain either. Herodotus, of course, gives the pretense of destiny and lingering anger over Astyages' attempts to have Cyrus killed as an infant, but of course that doesn't hold up as we talked about earlier. The Greek accounts of both Theseus and Herodotus suggest that there was general discord between the king of Media and his vassals or subjects. Herodotus tells us that Harpagus, the Median general who had betrayed the king and saved Cyrus's life, gathered the leading nobles of Media and convinced them to back Cyrus. Theseus, as relayed by Nicholas of Damascus, similarly says that Astyages' rule was unbearably strict and cruel to the Median generals. From Theseus, once again via Nicholas, we are given a chronology of Cyrus's rebellion against the Medes. The first battle of their war is said to have lasted for two full days before Astyages was able to win, and the Persians retreated. The second century Roman author Polyanus ups his count to three battles, which the Persians lost in his Stratagems of War, and Justin, another Roman historian in the second century and also drawing on Theseus, even claims that many Persians defected to the Medes after those early losses. Theseus, recounted by both Polyanus and Nicholas, is our source for the first notable Persian victory. I routinely wish that I knew more languages. Even right in the middle of the U.S., I run into Spanish speakers all the time, and my social media always has a little Persian, Arabic, some Dutch, and German. Rosetta Stone does help. It's the most trusted language learning program after all. It's also conveniently available on desktop or on the go as an app and has some really cool features that truly immerse you in the language you're learning. Just the first steps, like learning a new alphabet and some simple phrases, helped open new doors, and Rosetta Stone is a great choice as the trusted expert in this for 30 years and millions of users with 25 languages available to learn. They focus on fast language acquisition, without English translations to help you learn, speak, listen, and think in your new language while building long-term retention. Their true accent speech recognition also gives feedback on pronunciation, which can be really important for languages like Persian, where how you say something is very important. And on top of being available for desktop and mobile, you have the option to download lessons and take them offline. This is also all available at a steal. You can get lifetime membership, all 25 languages, for 50% off. Don't put off learning that new language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, History of Persia listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today today. This was a fierce battle or series of battles at the site of Pasargadai. What that site of the second round of fighting actually looked like at this time is hard to know. Today it is the ruins of a great Achaemenid capital city. Cyrus himself ordered its construction, but generally that order is understood to have come after he conquered his empire, so it's possible that these battles were fought around a small town, some kind of fortification, the half-started foundations of a city, or even just an empty plateau. 
Polyanus says that women and children were sheltered there, suggesting that it was somehow fortified, but that's basically all we have to go on. Regardless of the exact setting, the fighting is supposed to have been bloody, but eventually gone to a Persian victory, routing the Medes back northward to their own heartland. The exact circumstances of the event that turned the tide of the whole war in favor of the Persians is probably the only thing that every account we have can agree on. A Median general, the man Herodotus calls Harpagus, called Arbarku in the Akkadian of Babylon, switched sides, bringing several Median generals and presumably their armies over to Cyrus. Herodotus paints the general as a double agent, but other sources make his betrayal seem a lot more black and white. The Babylonian Chronicle places this event in 550 BCE. Harpagus and the Median generals coming over to Cyrus must have doomed Astyages' rule in Media. The sources we do have, though lacking in detail, continue to agree on what came next. Cyrus, Harpagus, and the combined Persian-Median army marched northward to Ecbatana, the Median capital, and Theseus tells us that the Median king, having lost the bulk of his army to betrayal and desertion, raised a force from the oldest and youngest men of the city. We don't get many details of the battle itself, but what we do know is that the Persians sacked Ecbatana in the aftermath. But once again, the sources diverge after this. The now former king of Media, Astyages, survived the battle, so Cyrus's next order of business was to capture his opponent and do something with him. Every author seems to have their own opinion, though, of what exactly occurred. The Babylonian Chronicle says that Harpagus and the other generals captured him and turned him over when they switched sides. Herodotus and Theseus both tell us that he was captured in the aftermath of the battle. Another version places a final battle after Ecbatana and says that Astyages was captured there. What happened to Astyages after he was captured is, of course, also contentious, with different versions provided by Herodotus and Theseus. The former says that he was made a hostage and an advisor in Cyrus's court, while the latter says that he was made governor of the province of Parthia at the northeast corner of the empire, and died on campaign much later due to the betrayal of a political rival. Personally, I am inclined to go with Herodotus's version. If he was kept alive, it would seem suicidal to give a freshly defeated rival independent control of a new territory, and several sources note that a Parthian king was an ally to Cyrus, someone who was unlikely to be deposed in favor of the defeated Astyages. If there is any truth to Theseus's story, it's probably that Astyages became governor of Parthia later on, after Cyrus had consolidated his power. There is also a pattern that developed with later conquests to suggest that Cyrus would have made a conquered ruler part of the royal court, and that's the important detail. Astyages is the first example in a series of Cyrus giving clemency to his conquered rivals. If you remember my earlier explanation of the Assyrian and Babylonian conquests, then you know that this is a radical departure from precedent. Cyrus's imperial role models would have either executed the Median king or deported him with his people to some far-off province, but there is not one shred of evidence to suggest that these tactics were ever employed by Cyrus, not in his conquest of Media, nor in his subsequent wars. This is perhaps the most important legacy of Cyrus's conquests. Of course, we will talk more about this as Cyrus conquers more territory in our narrative, but this is the first example in that pattern. So why? Why not be like Ashurbanipal or Nebuchadnezzar? Why not lead Astyages and his loyalists off in shackles to settle them in some province? 
Well, to say it honestly, we have no idea. No way to formulate one beyond some basic guesses, at least. One factor is almost definitely that basically every province in Cyrus's empire at this point had just been ruled by Astyages about 45 seconds earlier, because it was the Median Empire that made up all of Cyrus's domain at this point. But it is also possible, and the theory I tend to agree with, that this was a way for Cyrus and his successors to establish legitimacy and the support of defeated enemies, learning from the rebellions frequently faced by Assyria and Babylon. After all, this was a pattern that emerged with other leaders after Cyrus had conquered a lot more territory, not just Astyages. By making it clear that there would not be reprisals if you submitted to the Persian conquerors, Cyrus might have been able to bring the Median nobility and military command into the fold, maintaining continuity of government within the conquered territory, and by keeping the same men in power, they were given a stake in the new empire, i.e. a reason not to rebel. So why didn't the Assyrians and the Babylonians try similar tactics? Well, we're still working with murky but educated guesswork. One explanation is that Cyrus was not conquering petty Aramaean and Neo-Hittite kingdoms, but whole empires. Back in episode 1, I talked about the various Assyrian kings as they conquered and subjugated dozens of petty kingdoms, each of them with their own existing systems and each a rival of the next. Running them under existing systems would have been impractical through numbers alone, but the rivalries between all of the different kingdoms would have made ruling them all together, unchanged, completely impossible. They would have continued fighting each other the whole time. The Assyrians had to establish an imperial system for the first time for many of those kingdoms. At this point in our story, the Babylonians have imitated Assyrian tactics to prove their power and face some resistance, but much less resistance than comparably unstable times in Assyrian history. We don't have much information about Median imperial tactics, but the Greek accounts at least would have us believe that Astyages was somehow cruel, and the Medes, like the Assyrians before them, conquered many petty kingdoms in Iran and Anatolia, in addition to the conquered Assyrian territory. Cyrus, however, was conquering the Median Empire wholesale. They had an existing system of imperial government, and the Persians of Anshan did not. By keeping that system intact, Cyrus both ensured continuity and avoided reinventing the wheel. There's even actually another piece to the puzzle which backs up the idea that Cyrus was trying to secure his conquests with continuity. And we find that in what Cyrus did after he seized Ecbatana and dealt with Astyages. Cyrus, now styling himself King of Persia and King of Media in addition to King of Anshan, took painstaking care to portray himself as Astyages' rightful successor, rather than the first ruler of a new monarchy. Theseus and Herodotus both assert that he married Astyages' daughter, Amatus. Theseus makes the claim that Cyrus also had her existing husband killed to eliminate a rival, which is dubious, but not out of the realm of possibility. It's very likely, though, that he would have tried to ingratiate himself with the Median court by marrying into the dynasty in some capacity. His position as the rightful heir would have been further bolstered by Astyages' presence in court. The old king, appearing as a willing and helpful counselor to the new king, would have been a show of just even more legitimacy for Cyrus. In another example of continuity and contrast with earlier Near Eastern conquerors, including the Medes themselves this time, Cyrus saved Ecbatana. Once the Median capital was sufficiently looted, 
securing its material wealth to support Cyrus and his new kingdom, also probably to reward his armies, Ecbatana survived. In the last great Near Eastern conquest, the Babylonians and the Medes left Nineveh a smoldering ruin with exposed corpses that wouldn't be uncovered for 2,000 years. The Persians didn't raise the Median capital, but actually moved in. Ecbatana became one of the primary royal residences for Persian kings. As early as 537, international trade and business had already returned to the city, and one Babylonian merchant house reported that Cyrus himself lived there for several months out of the year. The city also housed a royal archive where the Bible claims that Cyrus's order to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem was stored, lost, and subsequently rediscovered. Cyrus also took over the kingship of Astyages' vassalized kingdoms in northeastern Iran, where the settled Iranian tribes began to blend back into the steppe pastoralist cultures of their ancient roots. These were the tribes like the Parthians, Bactrians, and Saka, who Theseus records as paying homage to Cyrus. This is one of those claims made by later foreign historians that we should take with a pinch of salt. Theseus claims that the Bactrians revolted independently against the Medes, and then immediately submitted to Cyrus, which seems contradictory, so we should probably be a little skeptical of just how willingly all of the Median vassals came over to the Persians, especially because several of our sources report that Cyrus was campaigning against the Iranian steppe tribes within a decade of taking Media. But Trevor, I hear you saying, what about all those alliances the Medes set up last time? Where is Lydia? Where is Babylon? What's the point of the three biggest powers in the region forming marriage pacts if one of them fights a war for three years, gets no help, and ends up conquered? Well, astute listener, I'm glad you asked. Hopefully you'll remember that Babylon's story in the last episode ended with a messy situation. Nebuchadnezzar, who had really solidified the alliance with Media, died, and his successors got busy with deposing one another until the fourth king in three years, Nabonidus, got himself on the throne. Well, as it happens, Nabonidus was a different sort of king from Nebuchadnezzar, and had a different agenda. What that agenda actually was isn't at all clear, but it was definitely different from Nebuchadnezzar's. The Babylonians had always had a pretty low opinion of the Medes. They called them Umanmanda, an Akkadian phrase which might have originated as the name for nomadic raiders in Anatolia and northern Syria, maybe even referring to those Indo-Iranian people who wound up ruling Mitanni in the Bronze Age. But by our time period, it was the generic phrase used by the Babylonians to describe the sort of people that the Romans would eventually call barbarians. So that speaks volumes about what Babylonia thought of media at this point, I think. I mentioned one temple inscription earlier where the Babylonian patron god Marduk is described as giving Cyrus a divine calling to fight the Medes, but it's actually more than that. In the inscription, Marduk is portrayed as speaking to Nabonidus, and the god says, The Umanmanda of whom you speak, he, his lands, and the kings who go at his side are no longer a threat. End quote. Of course, the Umanmanda of whom you speak is Astyages. Very clearly, hostilities were already growing between Babylon and Media. If there was still technically a pact between them at all, the historian Pierre Briand suggests that Nabonidus leaving Babylon to subdue some Arab tribes and make a religious pilgrimage to an oasis in northern Arabia in the same year that Cyrus rose in revolt might be interpreted as the Babylonian king intentionally turning a blind eye to the Medes. 
So at this point, the Babylonians were probably thinking that Cyrus just did them a huge favor by deposing a hostile king and weakening the Median Empire overall. Of course, they would probably end up regretting that in the end, but we'll get to that. We'll also get to Lydia, because since the Medes and the Lydians made their peace after the Battle of the Eclipse, King Aliates of Lydia has died, and his son Croesus, Astyages' brother-in-law, had risen to the Lydian throne. Croesus, unlike his Babylonian counterpart, did respond to the rising star that was Cyrus, king of Persia, if only a little too late to help the actual Medes. And that is where we will pick up next time. In two weeks, we will follow Cyrus and the Persians, now including the former Median armies, as they go west for the first time, and clash with the famously wealthy King Croesus, make their first contacts with the Greek-speaking world, and start to draw the attention of the other powerful kingdoms in the Near East. While you wait, you can find more information about the show and the relevant maps for this episode at historyofpersiapodcast.wordpress.com. New episodes will also be available there or wherever it is you get your favorite podcasts. Please contact me with suggestions and feedback either on the website or at historyofpersiapodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach me on Twitter at History of Persia, and on Facebook, I am the History of Persia Podcast. If you enjoyed the show today and you're excited that we're finally getting around to some real Persians, tell a friend, share on social media, and leave a review on iTunes to get the word out. And finally, a huge thanks to everyone who supported the show in these first two weeks, especially to the handful of ancient history podcasters out there who have shared and promoted the show. Until next time... Thank you all so much for listening to The History of Persia. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. 
For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.